You are watching Christ's Commission Fellowship. Changing lives for eternity. Good morning. I'm Rene Encarnacion. I went to the University of the Philippines for college and to the Harvard Business School for my graduate degree. I graduated top of my class from elementary through college, garnering honors and awards. I even played as co-captain of our varsity basketball team. I was known as a big man on campus. My wife Lenny and I met while still in college and we married in 1980. We left for the U.S. shortly thereafter as I pursued my graduate study and worked as a banker in New York City for 14 years. Our life was peaceful and comfortable, raising three sons and establishing a cultural nonprofit group of expatriate Filipinos. In 1998, we decided to move back to the Philippines, primarily to advance my professional career and to acquaint our sons with the family, the culture, and the values that we grew up in. It was not long before I longed to go back to life in the U.S., although I was being promoted in my job as head of finance for a telecommunications company and then to managing director of the global subsidiary of a multinational media and entertainment network. I was in charge of all the international distribution of the company's product, which I then used as my springboard for our return to the U.S. At this time, I was gradually turning away from God, aggravated by living and working away from my family and spending a lot of time on the road. I was advancing in my professional career, but my personal life was deteriorating. With a bloated ego, I thought I had ascended the corporate ladder because of my talents and my abilities. I thought I could achieve anything I wanted. I turned away from my values and upbringing, enjoying the freedom I thought I needed. I violated almost all the commandments, especially those against immorality. I was slowly but surely dying in sin. Eventually, I lost my job, and my next job required me to relocate back to New York City, where I spent the next two years again living away from my family. Soon thereafter, I moved back to the San Francisco Bay Area where my family was located and found a job with a nonprofit organization serving people with disabilities. During this time, my wife got involved in the real estate industry in order to help the family's finances because my income had dropped substantially. With the boom in real estate fueled by heavy demand and the aggressive credit markets in the U.S., we sought to accumulate wealth quickly by investing in properties, and market values went on an upward spiral that would never seem to end. The drive to earn more twisted our sense of values, and before we realized it, we were in over our heads with a huge amount of debt. Then it all disappeared. The property bubble burst, I lost my job again, and the real estate market collapsed. We lost everything that we owned. Over nine investment properties in all, our very own home, my car, our bank accounts, our credit standing, all disappeared in an instant. Except for one thing, although I did not recognize it then, 
God was working in our life. In the middle of the recession, my third son, who was then in high school, had joined the annual youth retreat held by now CCF San Francisco. He came back rejuvenated, and my wife became curious. She started going with him to worship service every Sunday, bringing along our youngest son as well. A transformation in my family was taking place slowly, but ever so surely. I could sense a peace radiating from my wife that I had never seen before. She and my sons had been attending worship service for a year before I finally relented and joined them. I met very sincere and genuine people, sharing fellowship unlike any other community. God was pursuing me through our brothers and sisters in the church. I joined the retreat the following year and there accepted Jesus Christ in my heart as my Lord and my Savior. My life was turned upside down. I have come full circle from material success to losing my way, repenting, and placing Jesus Christ first in my heart. I lost everything I had, but Jesus found me. And truly, He is the only one that matters. Only Jesus can complete our lives and give us all that we need. God broke me to save me. He used the very thing that broke us to sustain us anew. When I was jobless for a year and a half, he blessed my wife with a stream of assignments of foreclosed properties to sustain us. He provided for my family by allowing my wife to earn even more income than when I was working as a corporate executive. That sustenance enabled me to experience the sharpest growth in my spiritual life, becoming a minister in a nationwide Christian organization and one of the servant leaders in CCF San Francisco. And just as the assignment of foreclosed properties was ending for my wife, he gave me not one, but two new jobs to steward that sustain my family today. Indeed, his timing is perfect. Today, Lenny and I are actively engaged in CCF San Francisco, sharing his word among couples and leading a D-group of blended families to make disciples and disciplers to help build his kingdom on earth. I am a Rene Encarnacion, a servant of Christ. To God be the glory. Praise God. Let's all stand up. Let's pray for Renee and his wife, Lenny. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your grace, for your goodness, not only in the life of Renee and Lenny, but in all of our lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your divine appointments, for using the difficulties in our life to mold us, to shape us, so that you can use us. What a privilege it is, Lord, to be here today to worship you. I lift up to you, Rene and Lenny. Father, I pray for their entire family. Use them to be salt and light in San Francisco. Protect their family. Expand their borders, Lord. May they bring glory and honor to you in all that they do, think, and say. And Lord, I pray for the rest of our time together here, that as we look at the life of Jonah, as we reflect also on the life of Rene, 
that we would see ourselves, Lord, and we would be used by you as well. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Can you relate with that testimony? How many of you have been blessed by the series on Jonah? Can you raise your hands? For those of you that are here for the first time, we've been going through the book of Jonah. And so the main point for today is, again, practice radical love, part three. Because it is in the book of Jonah you, we learn about the radical love that God has for you and me. And I think you see it in the life of Renee also. How many of you can relate with Jonah? Have you made mistakes in the past? Yes, we all have. And I pray that today we will learn from Jonah the kind of love that God has for us so we can apply it in our lives. You see, the, the template of love is really Jesus Christ. Let's read this together. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Jesus raised the standard. In the Old Testament, it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But when Jesus came, he said, a new commandment I give you, you love one another as I have loved you. And that's why we're looking at the book of Jonah. Because in the book of Jonah, we see the kind of love that God has for us. The kind of love that Jesus Christ has for us that you also love one another. At verse 35, let's read this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the greatest compliments you can ever receive is when people will ask you, why is it that you are doing this kind of thing for, for me? Because today you don't see people thinking about other people. But when you practice the love of Christ, it's very obvious in the, in, the lives of, in, in, the, in the eyes of people. And so I pray that all of us will be known by the world as people that love like Jesus loves. Let's look at the book of Jonah. Do you remember the story? Jonah was in Joppa in chapter 1. God gave him a word. What did God tell Jonah to do? Go to Nineveh. And what do you know about Nineveh? Nineveh, three things you need to know. Number one, Nineveh is a great city. During this time, it was the greatest city. It was great in terms of military might. It was great in terms of economic might. Great in terms of cultural might. But two other things about Nineveh you need to know. They were also extremely wicked, and they were extremely violent. If you look at the Assyrian Empire, you look at what they en engraved in their stone, you'll see people that were skinned alive. The kings that they would conquer, they would gouge out their eyes. They were extremely violent nation. And this is their capital, Nineveh. So when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and by the way, the enemy of the Israelites were the Ninevites, the Assyrians. And so when God told Jonah, you go to, to Nineveh because I have a special word for them, it's not surprising that Jonah didn't want to go. And so he, he went where? Where did Jonah go? He went to Tarshish. Now on his way to Tarshish, because the radical love of God is such, he loves people, he loves the Ninevites, even though they're unlovable. Jesus loves God loves the Ninevites. 
God loves Jonah. God pursued Jonah. Like Rene shared in his testimony, Rene experienced being broken. God had to break Jonah. How did he break Jonah? He was swallowed by the whale. Remember that? There was a storm, a storm in Jonah's life, swallowed by the whale. And in, in the whale, last week, chapter 2, Jonah got right with God. He said he acknowledged that salvation belongs to you. And so now we're in chapter 3. Jonah was spit up from the belly of the whale. And now, what can we learn from chapter 3? Three things I want us to pick up from this chapter. The radical love is such, the radical love of God is such that, one, God is a God of second chances. And because he's a God of second chances, my response, our response, should be we should, we should go. And I'll explain that later on. Number two, God desires all to repent. It is his desire for everybody to repent. So what's the application for, ma for myself, for yourself? Well, repent. Repent to God, repent to other people if you need to get things right. Number three, God always forgives. Always. When even the most wicked person humbles himself, God will forgive. And so what's the application? I should also forgive. So let's look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Let's read this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the, can you say that? The second time. Who likes second chances? I love second chances. Third chances, four chances. Jonah was given a second chance. What was the word of the Lord saying? Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation on which I am going to tell you. If you look at the way God operates, think of his great leaders. Think of the apostle Peter. Did he need a second chance? He did. I love Jonah because I can relate with Jonah. See, all of us are like Jonah. We've all failed God at one, at one point in our life. Maybe right now you feel like you've failed God and you feel like God can never use you. But I'm here to remind you that God is telling you today that he is a God of second chances. And if he can use somebody like Jonah, if he can use somebody like Peter, if he can use somebody like Renee, he can surely use somebody like you. Look at what he told Jonah to do. He told Jonah to go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Jonah, when given the second chance, what did he do? He obeyed. Is it easy to obey? How many of you say it's easy to obey? None of you. If you ask my three-year-old son, he will also say it's not easy to obey. I have a three-year-old boy, and we've been having an extremely difficult time trying to get him to eat his food. Parents, can you relate to that? And so I, I try to talk to my son with reason. I say, Andrew, you need to eat your food. You need to obey. Why? Why do I need to eat my food? That's his question to me, why? And I say, Andrew, if you don't eat your food, you're not going to grow. And you, you need to grow to become big and strong. Then Andrew will look at me 
and you'll say, I don't want to be big and strong, Daddy. <laughs> and then he would say, I want to be small. I want to be small. And so even as a three-year-old, you see, hardwired into our nature is the difficulty to obey. And that's why many times, not many times, I'd say all the time, we need second chances. Because we need things to shake us up, to see that God really cares for us and is good for us and He loves us. That's His radical love. Praise God for second chances. Can you say that? Praise God for second chances. Now what do you do when you're given a second chance? Well, Jonah. Jonah arose and he did what the Word of God told him to do. Is there something that God is telling you to do today that you have refused to do? This right now is your second chance. Don't wait until the storm comes, until a fish swallows you, until you go through what Rene went through to hear the voice of God in your life. God is a God of second chance. Therefore, what must we do? Go. That's the, that's the first point. That's the first application. The radical love of God is He's a God of second chances. And to practice radical love is we need to go. I'm going to call up Pastor Danny Perez, and he's going to share with us his journey with God and his wife. They're going to share with us their journey with God and how God, like Jonah, worked in their hearts, giving them many chances to go. Let's welcome Pastor Danny. Good afternoon. I am Danny Perez, and this is my wife, Grace. Yeah, she's my wife, believe it or not, okay? We are servants of, servant leaders of CCF Beyond, and more importantly, we are Christians who accepted the challenge of Christ to make disciples. We are true blue CCFers coming to Christ in CCF, leading cell groups, heading the training department, becoming an elder, and even leading the Purpose Driven Life campaign, most people would say that we were very fruitful and successful in our Christian lives and ministries. Then, in 1998, I got paralyzed from waist down. I was at the prime of my corporate life. I was the president of Sara Lee Philippines when I got struck with a rare disease that puzzled the doctors. Doctors operated on me, but told my wife that I will probably be on a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I was only 45 then. Looking back, I know it was part of God's plan to humble me. Did I need humbling then? I was proud and selfish, and I did not know it. I was an area pastor, a Bible teacher then, but as I look back and as I got feedback from the people who work with me and under me, they told me I was sima, simangot, and yabang. I see some of you who are here and you know me, I can see you smiling, and you agree that I was indeed unapproachable and sung it indeed at that time. I realized that God wanted me lower, and what a better way than making you paralyzed waist down. 
In His grace, as you can see, I am up and walking. But because God wanted me to never forget my lesson on humility, my legs today are still numbed. He uses that to remind me of my arrogance daily and that I need to grow to be even more humble and selfless. In 2006, God gave us what we thought was the opportunity of a lifetime. Our whole family was approved for immigration to the USA. Oh, God is good. Really good, huh? Diba? What a blessing. USA, the land flowing with steak and butter. The American dream, sabi nga nila. What a reward for being saved and a pastor at that. I thought, ang galing talaga ni God. I thought we were headed for the best years of our lives in Los Angeles then. Little did I know that it was going to be humility, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, etc. for me and for all of us in the family. God knew that I was still not fully surrendered and dependent on Him. He brought me to America to rid me of my pride, selfishness, and security, our bank account. You see, I retired at age 48 because I got a good retirement bundle as a company president. We brought the money to the USA, bought our homes. On top of this, we were asked to lead Bible studies and start D groups in LA. We did retreats and we preached in Filipino churches. After all, I was a trained pastor and God was using me indeed, so I thought. Then the dominoes started to fall, one after another. The couple that asked us to teach in their Bible study and start discipling them turned against us and maligned us saying that I was a thief and we abused their goodwill. The Bible study grew, that grew so big was affected and split. People were disillusioned and left. We were devastated and certainly brought down. Then the investments and the business ventures I started and joined all turned sour, resulting in big losses, dwindling our bank savings. I had no choice except to look for work again. From being a company president, I became a door-to-door -door sales consultant for a solar company. The company manager saw my skills and even noted my overqualification and thought I would be an instant success. But the exact opposite happened. It was clear that God was not blessing anything that I would do that is money-related. Clearly, God continued to make His agenda of humility for me to happen. The final blow that brought us to our lowest came three years ago. I was informed by my Christian brother and business partner in Manila that the business we started prior to my departure for the USA in 2006 had hit dead end and that we all had financial liabilities to settle running into millions of pesos. When he told me what I owed and what needed to be paid, I became comatose and lost in space for some time. Only one solution, sell our house and other properties to pay off these liabilities. Sounds like Rene, right? What did 
Why did God allow this? I ask. Answer, Romans 8.29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. God allowed the problems we went through to empty me in every way to make me humble. My wife was so assuring all of these difficult times, and I praise God for her. I assured Danny that God is in control and kept reminding him by saying, Pera lang yan. God is more important than us. God has a plan for us. Through all these trials, God taught us valuable lessons about discipleship. Being a disciple means being more and more like Christ. God, in His grace, will make sure you will be Christ-like, humble indeed if you are His child. And until then, He will not cease to mold you until Jesus is formed in you. If you resist, He may allow you to go through problems like we did to make you Christ-like, selfless, and humble. Realize that this is God's reactive way. If you are stiff-necked and stubborn, He will break you because you are His chosen one, and He said He will do it to you for sure. That's exactly what God did to us, with emphasis on Him. Then in 2014, we were approached and asked if we would become church planters in CCF North America. It was challenge accepted for us because I thought I could no longer fight God. I do not like more pains to be inflicted and to be humbled. And this started our journey to intentional disciple-making. We revisited our bearings, and we discovered once again the objectives of disciple-making, to make followers of Christ, and the end goal is Christ-like maturity in the disciple. We became intentional to make sure that Christ-likeness self or selfless humility grows evidently and consistently with all our disciples, and there was only one way to do it. We had to model selfless humility to them. Because of that, we, the disciples, became even more humble and selfless in the process. Our aha moment was this. Making disciples is God's proactive appointment way to make us conform to the image of Christ as we keep modeling Christ-like humility to others. And this made us realize the value and deep importance of the challenge of making disciples. Then the reality of promise of the challenge to make disciples kicked in. Matthew 28, 20 promised the abiding presence of Jesus always to the disciple maker. For the past three years, my wife and I saw the reality of this promise. We began to see right before our eyes how His presence would work wonders and miracles in the birthing of four new CCF satellites in Canada, less than one year after we took the challenge to make disciples who will make disciples. Not only that God worked within our family, not only that, God worked within our family and that He allowed me to disciple um, my family. I discipled my wife and we discipled our children, modeling selfless humility to them by seeking them out, seeking their interests, and creating genuine relationships with them. This is continuing today, and this was made possible only because Jesus was always with us, making sure that our humility is rewarded and appreciated. The disciple-making movement in Canada blossomed 
And all this was made possible because of all simple men and women, simple couples who accepted the challenge. Believe it or not, we, all of us, were intimidated and felt inadequate. But once we said, Lord, challenge accepted, we were blessed and transformed ourselves. These men and women today are teeming with confidence and assurance with God's presence always to those who are making disciples so they make disciples. The impossible becomes possible. The lost will be found and the gospel can be preached to the ends of the earth. Here are some of the simple men and women that we've been exposed to. I hope they can show pictures right there. Today, CCF Beyond has 19 CCF satellites, nine house churches, and many more discipleship groups and D-groups scattered in more than 50 countries around the world. Yes, praise God for that. Along with Pastor Joey Hieronimo and the Beyond team, we are trusting God that humble, Christ-like servants will multiply many times over in the years to come. If these men and women did it by simply accepting the challenge of God to make disciples in places they were planted, then you, our dear brothers and sisters, can experience the Almighty God and His awesome glory by accepting the challenge wherever you are in this world today. You can accept the challenge through the going, through the praying, and sending others. You can find this in the handout of CCF Beyond. You can read about it, and you will know exactly what God will tell you to do. You can, if you want to be part of this movement, you can visit our, like Pastor Jim said, you can visit our installation downstairs at the main lobby. Ask them how you can be involved. Fill out a response slip. Submit it to our volunteers, and in return, they will give you a magnet that says, challenge accepted, and you can put it on your ref to remind you every day of what you are committing. We pray that you will be like us, simple men and women of CCF who were blessed because we accepted the challenge to go, pray, send. Again, all of us, go, pray, send. To God be all the glory. Thank you. Praise God. Can you say that? Go, pray, send. You know, I like this quote of Dorothy Sayers. Let's read it together. The sin of our times is not power-hungry materialism, which is what the liberals say. By the way, Dorothy Sayers was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, so this was during, uh, this was some time ago, but listen to what she says. And it is not a permissive spirit of lawlessness, which is what the conservatives tell you, but rather the sin of the ages that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, and therefore enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, and lives for nothing. It remains alive simply because there is nothing for which it will live. If you and I are not careful, it is very easy to live for ourselves. And what Dorothy is talking about is living for nothing greater than 
ourselves. You see, it's easy to think about our jobs. When, when can we save enough money for the next vacation? What does my family need? But there is so much more than me and my family. And I'm learning the more I think about myself, the more lonely I will become. Because the more irrelevant I become to this world. When I was in college playing basketball for Ateneo, I wanted to be a good basketball player. I wanted to be a good student. In my heart, I said, I want to honor God. But when I looked at my life, a lot of what I was doing was really for myself. I would study hard. It's a good thing. I would practice hard. But it was, it was for myself. I knew that God called me to do more than just play basketball, to do more than just be a good student. But like Jonah, I didn't listen to the call of God. My second year as a basketball player, I tore my arch. My arch, my plantar fasciitis, it tore. It was very painful, but I was still able to play that season. In my heart, I knew God wanted me to start a Bible study, but I always reasoned with God, Lord, I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to be a good student. I don't have time to do a Bible study at school. My fourth year as a basketball player, one year before the season started, I completely dislocated my shoulder, completely dislocated it. It was the third time, and this time it was completely out of socket. And that for me was the time when God really grabbed a hold of my heart and my motivation of why are you doing what are you doing? It was a Jonah experience. And I share that with you because it was during that time. It was painful. I didn't get to play that entire year. But it was during that time that God used, was able to use me. Because God can't use you until you're broken. And don't wait for him to break you. But that's what I needed. So he literally broke my arm. And it was during that time that God used, used me with other uh, fellow CCFers to start a Bible study in, in, in Ateneo. And that Bible study today is is doing much better than it was when I was there. Just like my team, they're happy that I left <laughs> because that's when they won the championship, right? But God used me during that period in time um, by his grace. And so if God is giving you a second chance today, maybe he's telling you to go to your family, to be a witness to your family, or he's telling you go to your workplace, to your company, there's a message I want you to give to the people there. I want you to love them radically as I have loved you. Or maybe he's telling you to go to the community. There is a great need for people outside of this building. Don't be like Jonah. Don't be like me. Let's listen. God is a God of second chances. Let's go. Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. What did Jonah do when he went? Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, what did he say? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is the worst gospel presentation I've ever read in my entire life. You agree? This is all he said according to the Bible. He might have said more. And maybe, maybe the Ninevites knew that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. But look at what Jonah says. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now what happened to Nineveh after this? We will see that they actually believed and they repented. But this shows me the heart of God. Look at the heart of God. 
The radical love of God that he has for you and for me is this. Let's read this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Now, I want all of you to stand up and read this last part. Let's all stand up. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Why is he patient towards you? Why is he patient toward me? Let's read this. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This gives me such comfort. Because sometimes your view of God is God is excited to, to judge and to make people suffer. That's not true. God's heart is for all to come to repentance. It is you and I that resist, that say, no, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. The heart of God is for all of us to come to repentance. God desires all to repent. Let's clap and praise God for the kind of God that we have. You may take your seats. The thing about repentance is this. We can't repent on our own. We think sometimes, oh, I, I'm in a good spot because I, I have a repentant heart. I'm, I'm, I'm humble. Look at this. No one, John chapter 6, verse 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So what happened in Nineveh? It was a supernatural work of God, the grace of God, the same thing that happened in your life. When somebody shared to you who Jesus Christ was, it was the grace of God that drew you to him. Look at what the Ninevites did. The people of Nineveh, they believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. I'm going to explain what sackcloth is. But what I want you to take home from this verse is they actually believed the worst gospel message ever, which tells me it's not the messenger. It's the message that God gives the messenger to give that makes the impact in the lives of people, his word. It is God's word that touches the hearts of people. Look at this. For the word of God is living and active. Sometimes we look at God's word and we say, this is a great book. It's got lots of stories and it is God's word, but it's, it was written and, and it, it happened before. That's not true. Hebrews tells us the word of God is living and active. When you read it, there's an impact, there's an effect in your life. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Can you hold the person's hand beside you? Only if you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable, you know, if you, if you had a fight this morning, you know, hold her hand if you fought with her this morning. Now, what do you feel in the person's hand? Do you feel soft hand or rough hand? What? Soft, rough. How do you get rough hands? From working, right? If you've held the hand of a labandera, what kind of hand does she have? It's rough. If you work out in the gym, what kind of hands do you have? Rough. If you work in the office, what kind of hands do you have? 
It depends. Sabi mo, dami kong check sign eh. So, may kalos din ako. Yeah? How do you get rough hands? It's because of callousness, right? You get callous. You get callous when you keep doing that same motion over and over again and you build, your skin becomes rough. Do you know that when you and I sin and we don't repent, our heart becomes callous, becomes very thick, and it almost as, it's almost as if nothing can, can, can change what that person is thinking. But I have good news for you. This is the good news. The Word of God is living and active. It is the Word of God that pierced the hearts of the Ninevites, that greatest city who were what? Wicked and violent. This is the, these guys are rough, tough. But when the Word of God fell on their ears, God did something to their heart. So don't underestimate the Word of God as you go. Remember, it is God's desire for all of us to repent, and it is His Word that will pierce the heart of the people. What happened when the Word reached the king? When the Word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. What's the significance of sackcloth? When a person would wear sackcloth, sackcloth is a rough material, many times made out of goat hair, and it's very uncomfortable. But people will wear sackcloth during this time as a symbol of, of mourning, deep sorrow. Have you been in a place of deep sorrow? Go to a funeral service. We were in two funeral services last night, and there is real sorrow in a funeral service because it is sad to lose a loved one. And here you see the humility of this king. He's the king of this great nation. And yet, when he hears the message that Jonah gave, he humbles himself. He takes off his clothes and puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes. Now, when you sit in ashes, that is an external representation of what's going on in the heart of the king. He humbled himself. He repented. Even the hardest criminal, when touched by God, repents. That is the radical love of God. What did the king do? He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink. Imagine, he even commanded that the animals fast. Why? This is why. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call what? Call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. The radical love of God is such that he desires all of us to come to repentance. And when the leader of a nation is touched, look at the impact that he had on his nation. We need to pray for our leaders, friends. We, pray for the, we need to pray for the leaders of the world. We're not dependent on them, 
But God sure uses leaders. And let's pray for our leaders. And we'll do that as we wrap up today. But when was the last time you and I called on God earnestly? These pagans, the Ninevites, with the little word they received from Jonah, look at their heart. Complete repentance. They turned around, called in the name of God, and they turned from their wicked way. Why? They said, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. I don't know if Jonah gave them the complete version of the gospel, but they got it. They said, maybe God would relent. Look at this, his burning anger. When was the last time you heard a message about the burning anger of God? We hear messages about the love of God, the grace of God, the, the wonderful plan that God has for you, and all of that is true. But there's something about God that we need to realize. He is righteous anger. And I read this quote. It said, your chances, God never gives you, he will always give you chances. But the question is, do you have time? And sometimes you run out of time. The Ninevites, they had 40 days. But immediately, when they got their second chance, when they got their chance from God, they repented. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's, what you're struggling with, what you're holding on to, what idol you'd rather have other than God. But if God is speaking, you, speaking to you today, and remember, I, I'm just like Jonah. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. I'm just reading God's word for you. But if God is speaking to you through his word, then I beg you, be like the Ninevites and repent. Because it is God's desire for all of us to repent. And what's the application? Repent. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't resist. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What do you learn about this? God Always. Can you say that with me? Always forgives. And this is the unexplainable grace of God. He never gets tired. And that's why, if you have received the forgiveness of God, who are you? Who am I not to forgive? Let me ask you a question. Has God forgiven you? Yes, right? What if you don't ask for repentance? Has he forgiven you? He's forgiven you, but you will not experience his forgiveness, right? If you don't repent, you will not experience salvation, even though he's forgiven you. And therefore, God tells us, we are to forgive as I have forgiven you, and God forgives everybody. But if you don't ask for repentance, you're telling God, I don't want your forgiveness. How can you experience his, for, his salvation if you don't repent? But God's forgiven you. And for those of you who have experienced the forgiveness of God, look at what he tells us. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, 
will also forgive you. And you and I, we are not God. So we can't judge if somebody is truly repentant or not. Sometimes we like to play that role. We're like, I'm not going to forgive because that person is really not repentant. They keep hurting me. To forgive doesn't mean to you, you excuse their behavior. Forgiveness is it's costly. It costs you something. It's a gift you choose to give that person. Look at this verse. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, what should you do? Forgive him. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody sins against you seven times in one day, and he comes back and says, I'm sorry, seven times, is that person repentant? Doesn't seem like it, right? So don't ever say, oh, he's not repentant, so I'm not going to forgive him. Because God says, even if that person were to treat you that way, because I have forgiven you, you forgive also. So our forgiveness is not conditional upon the other person's behavior towards us. It's a choice. <clears throat> when you and I choose to forgive, you impact the people around you. I'm going to read to you as we, as we wrap up a testimony of my father-in-law. You know my father-in-law? My wife's father. This is his testimony. Dr. W. Lowell and Maureen Reed brought their six children up attending church every Sunday and learning to live good, respectable lives. You can imagine their heartbreak when they discovered their oldest son, my father-in-law, Nelson, had totally rebelled against everything they had taught him. Nelson was verbally defiant in his rebellion towards his parents and would come home from the university and attack their Christian beliefs. The Vietnam War of the 1960s was going on, and at that time, and, and at the time, he would assault them with comments like, it is you in your establishment that gets friends killed in Nam. That was all it took to ignite a heated argument. Dr. Reed, Jenny's grandfather, was a kind, gentle man. His dental patients loved him, Mrs. Reed was even tempered and loved and served her six children sacrificially. Both Wilbur and Maureen would do anything to protect their children from danger, temptation, and evil. They were good moral people. But when Nelson dropped out of university to pursue a hippie, ski-bum lifestyle immersed in substance abuse, deceit, immoral living, and theft, he discovered a hot-tempered side to his parents. So my father-in-law saw that his parents also had a temper, and he knew which buttons to press to get them upset. He would maliciously provoke them in a sadistic sort of way in order to justify his own immoral, godless living. That lasted for about a year, then something remarkable happened. Right about this time, this time in February, many years ago, many, many years ago, Dr. and Mrs. Reed got involved in the good Bible-believing teaching church. They joined other parents who had rebellious children to pray and look to God for help. Their hearts began to change, and instead of trying to conform their son, they went out of their way to love Nelson, even when he 
despitefully used and disrespected them. The radical love of God, even if your children, even if your loved one is hurting you, not respecting you, Jenny's grandparents chose to radically love Nelson. For example, when Nelson would intentionally try to argue about the Vietnam War or bring up the hypocrisy of the moral majority, instead of arguing with him, his mom and dad would show compassion and concern for his welfare. His mom would lovingly wash his dirty clothes and stack them neatly, prepare his favorite foods, and send thoughtful gifts home with him. His father would help him financially and let him borrow his car if he needed it. One night after a skiing accident, which messed up his leg, Nelson went home to take advantage of his parents' medical insurance. His dad wisely steered, steered the conversation away from potential arguments, sharing the love of Christ. In a moment of rare transparency, Nelson turned to his dad and said, so what are you living for anyway, dad? His dad responded by saying how he was living for Christ and seeking to share that relationship with his family and others. Cut the religious stuff, dad. What are you really living for? Nelson pressed in. Well, love, peace, and joy. And to express that in all my relationships with family and friends. His dad then went to include how that only comes by walking with Christ. Cutting him off, Nelson remarked, remarked sarcastically, yeah, right. Well, that is what I'm living for too. So what do you live for? and what I live for are the same, making the peace sign. He continued, my friends and I live for peace, man. Far out and happiness. Then he hesitated, but I don't know about love. It's easy to sing love songs and talk about love, but I'm not sure if it really exists. If it wasn't for you and mom's love for me, I wouldn't believe that love is real. At that moment, Nelson's dad looked him directly in the eyes and with conviction said, Nelson, I don't love you. He paused. It is Jesus Christ loving you through me. Instantaneously, the Holy Spirit opened Nelson's heart to grasp the significance of his father's word, words. I'm not talking about religion. This is a relationship, a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ who is living in me, his father said. That radical love that Wilbur and Maureen consistently showed to their son, even when he was so hurtful and contemptuous, used God used, became the instrument that God used to break Nelson's rebellious heart and lead him to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God for the great, amazing, radical love of Jesus, which strengthens us with power to love others regardless of how they treat us. We love because he first loved us. You know, if it wasn't for uh, Grandpa and Grandma Reed, I wouldn't be married to Jenny. There would be no Nelson Reed, who gave his life to Christ, came to the Philippines, worked with street children, absolutely loves God because he experienced a radical love of God from his family. That is the kind of love God has for us. I'm showing you a picture of my, my wife's brother, Ben. That's Ben. That's me. 
Like my brother-in-law, we're both running out of hair. He's a little ahead of me. He's married to Becky, Jenny's sister, and this is my father-in-law, Nelson, one of the heroes of my life, one of the most humble men I've ever met. We had another brother, which God, God took home, and you know that story, and we rejoice that he's with the Lord. Sad, yes, but we rejoice that he's in heaven. And this is my mother-in-law, Linda. This is Jenny's younger sister, Becky. Jenny's the eldest. This is Sarah, and these are their children. They all have one girl each. This is my girl. That's Becky's girl, and that's Sarah's girl. And here's the boys, lots of boys in the family. And I share this with you because you know what? Each of these children represent a nation. That's what God called it when it was in the womb. When uh, Isaac and Esau were in the womb of their mom, the two nations. And the way you and I love, if we love like Jesus, the impact that you will have will go much further than you can ever imagine. Because that act of loving my father-in-law and being firm, loving, loving firmly, completely changed his life. And now it's completely changed our life, my life. Some of you say it's very hard to forgive, Paul. Uh, yes, it is very hard. It was extremely hard for me to forgive the person that uh, abused my wife when she was young. Extremely hard. It is only the grace of God that enables us to forgive. And I like what Dr. Roy Smith shared. He's passed away. He's a minister. This is what he shared. He said, forgiveness is something that you and I as Christians need to become good at. And if you have a hard time forgiving, here are some practical things you can do. Number one, begin by assuring yourself that compared to Christ's suffering, you haven't been seriously wronged at all. Do you agree? Compared to what Jesus Christ went through, yes, you've been hurt, but not, nothing compared to what he's gone through. Recall the many kind deeds that have been shown to you, perhaps even by the person who has harmed you. Count your blessings. Number three, list the benefits you have received from the Lord. And boy, are there a lot of benefits from the Lord. You can go list paper after paper when you talk about the benefits that you receive from the Lord. Thank Him for blessing you with His love and forgiveness each day. Make an honest effort to pray for the one who has injured you. God tells you His radical love is you love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Go even further by looking for an opportunity to help him or her. If the, if the offense is especially hard to forget, try to erase the memory by thinking gracious and generous thoughts. Or my wife would tell me, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And sometimes, you know, the pain is there. There's consequences to the hurt that was done to you. But you can still forgive. Finally, before you fall asleep at night, repeat slowly and thoughtfully that phrase from the Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What's the message today? We need to practice radical love. The same kind of love that God has for you. And His love, He's a God of second chances. And maybe He's calling you to go. Maybe He's calling you to missions, to go outside of your comfort zone. Check it out downstairs. Maybe he's calling you, like I said, to live for something much greater than just yourself. 
And as a Christian, you and I, we know the truth. We know that God is coming back. You can be radical. We are the only ones that have something to really live for. God desires all to repent, all. So if that's you, don't wait, repent right now, today. And lastly, God always forgives, and therefore, you and I should what? Forgive. Last verse. Maybe some of you said, you know what? I, I can't do that. I can't forgive. If you say you can't forgive, then I'm here to tell you, you're right, you can't forgive, because apart from Jesus Christ in your life, there's no way you and I can forgive. But this is for you. Maybe some of you have never gotten right with God. And this is for your appointment today. Is God wanting you to get right with him? It is his desire for you to repent. Let's read this. That if you confess, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will what? Be saved. He forgives your sins. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. People will disappoint you, but God will never disappoint you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this wonderful day of worship. Thank you for the life of Jonah. Lord, we are all like Jonah. Thank you for giving us not just second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that desires for all of us to repent. You love for us. You care for us. And thank you, Lord, for being a God that forgives us when we humble ourselves, no matter how wicked, how violent, how bad a life we've lived, you are always there to forgive us. There is no one like you, God. And if there's somebody in this room this morning that has not yet gotten your life right with God, I want you to do what Romans chapter 10 just told us to do. I want you from your heart, repent. Confess Jesus as Lord. He promises to save you. If that's your desire, I want you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I admit that I have sinned against you. I have rebelled against you. But I thank you for dying on the cross to pay for the penalty of my sin. This morning, I opened the door of my heart. I repent of my sin, Lord. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my master, and to be my savior. Thank you for your free gift of forgiveness. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. Please now make me into the kind of person you want me to be. And Lord, for the rest of us who know you, maybe we've started living more for ourselves than for your cause. And Lord, forgive me for losing sight of the call that you have for all of us. So Lord, I pray wherever we're at, at home, in the marketplace, at school, if you call us to go somewhere else, we'd be obedient to you, Jesus. And we would take your word, because it is your word that changes lives. 
we would preach your message of repentance. And Lord, when we are hurt by the people that we love most, the people that we serve together with, give us the grace to always forgive. It is the greatest gift that you've given us and it is a gift that you give us to be able to give to other people. Help us to radically love people by forgiving them. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Connect with CCF through the following websites. Jumpstart your spiritual journey by joining a small group. We are so blessed you were able to join us today. God bless and see you next time.